Well, I took a week off social media and came back after a week to find out nothing has changed. People are still making up news stories pretending that the right is racist, and of course it's all a hoax. Muslims who joined ISIS are still trying to return to the West. Trudeau is still a disaster. The youth in Ontario are still embracing Marxism. So welcome back. jump into this week's history and news, don't forget to check out my second podcast called Gifts from God. That's stories from foster and adoptive parents as well as advice about fostering and adopting from foster and adoptive parents. And if you live in Ontario, make sure you check out Focus on the Family event that's coming to Waterloo in March. I'm going to be speaking at it. I'm going to be speaking specifically to youth and children's leaders in church, all about working with children who've gone through trauma. Okay, so we're going to be getting into talking more about hoax crimes, um, Gerald Butts and the history of that scandal, the trucker protest. But before we get into all of that, a few thoughts and some other things I've seen since returning to social media. By the way, I really enjoy taking my week off of social media and I highly recommend it to everyone else. Give yourself a brain freeze walk away from social media. Your brain needs a break. Trust me, you will be really happy. So go ahead and do that. I highly encourage it. I'm going to be writing a blog about my experience on that. So make sure you check out my website so that you will be able to catch that blog. All right. Every day, a new story of an ISIS fighter or an ISIS bride trying to return to Canada or America or the UK. Every day, I have a new story like that. And in January, I read Killing the SS, which by the way is a great book. I highly recommend it. So it's a story of how they had the hunt and the trials and the deaths of the SS after World War II. And that is how it should be. If you join a terrorist group, we should be hunting you down, finding you, putting you on trial, and then the death penalty. I can't believe the media is covering these stories by trying to make us feel pity for these people. No pity from me. Sorry, but not sorry. You're a piece of crap if you joined ISIS. And when you sit there in a full burqa and say that you're not radical anymore, sorry, I don't believe you. The only pity I do have is for the children. And I do think the children should be brought back to Canada and given a chance. And by the way, when I say children, I mean children, like toddlers. Not these children we're bringing back who have full neck beards. I mean actual children, not adult men who just self-identify as children. The other thing I've been seeing a lot of since coming back is that there's more youth in Ontario embracing full-on Marxism, protesting forward with signs of communist dictators with hammers and sickles. Look, just a little history lesson here. Every time communism has come in, it involved youth protesting, and then these youth usually turn and kill off the older generation. This is even amongst Christian teens, I'm seeing this on Facebook. And this is why we have to teach more history in our churches. Because by the way, communism has never been friendly to Christians. And we tend to be the first ones that they kill off. On that note, 
I have a new podcast that's going to be coming in June on church history, and I'm pretty excited about it, and there will be more information about that coming soon. Okay, if you're hearing a whole bunch of extra noise today in the background, my husband is off work this week, and he is renovating our entranceway. It's pretty cool, and if you want to follow that along, check out my Instagram, which is Laura Lee Ministry, and I have a story, and I've been following along all of the cool renovations that we're doing And today is also his birthday, so happy birthday, Alex. Love you so much. And I know that you're listening, of course, because he always listens to this podcast. And so um, I want a big shout out to him and a big happy birthday. And thanks for all the renovations you're doing. And you'll be hearing that in the background, sawing and hammering. Okay, so I come back from vacation and one of the stories that I read on was so heartbreaking. So it's a horrible story. Um, the Valentine's death of the 11-year-old little girl, Rhea. And so she was killed on Valentine's Day, which is her birthday, and she was killed by her father. And her mother had allowed her father to see her for her birthday, they can go have some ice cream. And somehow her mother got word that her father was planning on killing her and then himself. So she went to the police for help, and it was clear that she was in serious trouble. The police got involved, and actually it was a couple of hours before they finally sent out phone alerts to phones in the area, hoping that people would see her or see her father and the alerts worked and someone called in and the father was found but it was too late because the little girl had already been killed completely heartbroken we all know that evil is in this world but when we hear about it our hearts still completely break perhaps the harshest part of this story is the number of people that complained about the alerts being sent to their phone I mean actually called 911 to complain about it I know that evil exists, but I still want to believe that our society as a whole is good. But when our society as a whole is angry, not that a child is missing and in danger, but angry that their phone is sending off notifications and it's not letting them sleep, that's a serious problem. Yesterday, this little girl was laid to rest. And the same day, her father died in the hospital because he had tried to kill himself um, before the police had caught him. But, so, the story is, it's sad on every angle. Like, there, there's nothing good about the story. It's completely heartbroken. When I look at the story, one of the questions I have is, have we reached a level of narcissism in our society that we cannot come back from? I mean, when we're annoyed that the police are bothering you, when there's an 11-year-old girl who's being killed, I don't know if it can get much lower than that. But society's been going down this path for a long time. We only have to look at the number of hoax crimes that have happened in the recent years. People are craving attention and at the same time, completely uncare about actual problems around them. Besides the Kavanaugh Supreme Court hearings and the Covington High School students, both stories that blew up and captured the attention of the world and turned out to not be what the media told you they were, There are so many more hoaxes that you may not even know about. We're going to look at just a few of these hoax crimes. There's so many of them that it'd be impossible to cover all of them, but let's just look at a few. In 2006, and by the way, we are going back pre-Trump. That's important to remember. This isn't just about Trump. This is about our society and the problems that we have. In 2006, the Duke University lacrosse team was accused of attacking an African-American dancer. And she said that they attacked her and raped her when she was at a party that was hosted by the team captain. 
The team captain was then forced to, or the team coach was then forced to resign. The team lost its entire season and they lost their reputations. But as it turned out, they did nothing wrong. Charges were eventually dropped and at the end, it was the prosecutor that was charged for fraud and misrepresentation. There was a gay pastor in Texas who sued Whole Foods, Whole Foods for using a slur, the F-A-G fag, on his cake. In the end, the pastor was forced to apologize because he had faked the entire thing. Then there's Times, who posts the cover of a child crying while Trump looks at her in disgust with the caption of child separation at the border. It turns out the child was never separated from her mother. Her mother was just cropped out of the picture. And the child was crying because her mother dragged her across the desert in the middle of the night and she was cold, hungry, and thirsty. Also, it was the mother who stole the child from the father. And she also abandoned her other children. And both her and her husband had jobs and were not in desperate situations. Basically, the only bad person in the story was the mother. And the child probably should have been separated from her. Then there's the story of an Indiana church that was pro-gay. And then apparently somebody spray-painted Hail Trump all over the church. After the police investigated, it turned out the church did it to themselves. There's an African-American church that was set on fire with the words vote Trump on the church. But as it turned out, church members set that fire as well. There's a Kentucky woman who said her hijab was ripped off her by white men wearing Trump hats. She eventually admitted it didn't happen. In New York, there was a man who spray painted Trump signs all around the campus. And then he went out and complained about them. Okay. Then a Muslim woman said three white men were screaming Donald Trump while they attacked her. She eventually had to admit she made it up. In Charlotte, North Carolina, a house was burned down with a note that said, Our newly elected President Trump is a national builder for white America. You all know that we want our country back on the right track and we need to rid ourselves of Muslim, Indians, and immigrants. But it was a hoax and it was staged. A man in Kansas spray-painted his own car with racist slurs. In Long, in Long Island, a woman claimed that Trump supporters were yelling at her, slashed her tires, and then left her a nasty note. Police found out it was a lie. It never happened. Perhaps one of the worst stories was Charlie Rogers, a lesbian and a basketball star for the Nebraska women's basketball team. She claimed that men broke into her home, tied her up, carved crosses into her chest and carved anti-gay slurs into her stomach and arms and then spray painted her house before leaving. Charlie actually crawled to her neighbors who then called 911. The whole community was outraged. Churches stepped up and raised money for her. Politicians got involved, but the police were not convinced. They found the knife, the zip ties, and the gag were all bought three days earlier by Charlie and she had staged the whole thing. It was a little over a year ago that a sixth grade student in Toronto said a man attacked her and cut her hijab while she was on her way home from uh, on her way to school. Of course, as we all know, that turned out to be a lie also. Of course, we didn't figure out it was a lie until after there had already been a press conference held at her school and our prime minister had jumped on Twitter to say how horrible Canada was that we would do such horrible, hateful things. But of course, it was a lie. Just days after the Pittsburgh massacre, Nazi symbols were spray painted on a Brooklyn synagogue and fires were set in Jewish communities. 
and it was of course all blamed on trump supporters it turned out it was a black gay man who was trying to fight hate crimes but there were no hate crimes to fight so he had to create his own so he could fight them then there was a college where the whole college had to go through social justice training and get safe spaces had to be created because kkk graffiti was found on campus it turned out the spray painter was a man named finn arthur a black student in Philadelphia, a black community was terrorized by anti-black messages left all over the community. It turned out it was a man named William Tucker, a black man who was blaming Trump supporters for the crimes. Then at K-State, a note was left on the door of a young black woman. It said, beware, then the N-word, lives here, knock at your own risk. Turned out she wrote the note herself, and this was the second hoax this young lady had pulled. The University of Michigan student said she was attacked for wearing a pin that promoted the UK staying in the European Union. She was attacked and her face was scratched. Eventually, she had to admit she had scratched herself. Then all across the US, Jewish community centers began getting death threats. Turned out they were all sent by one man named John Thompson. He was a reporter who was creating a story so that he could write about it. University of Michigan, a woman said she was attacked by white men who threatened to burn her hijab, turned out never happened. Then Alicia Long, a student in Ohio, said that white men wearing mega hats attacked her and threw rocks at her. Turned out she made the whole thing up. And it was Alicia who said she hoped all Trump supporters got AIDS and died. Kind of harsh. On the night Trump was voted in, a man in Ontario named Chris Ball posted a picture of himself with a bloody face. He said he was attacked for being gay by Canadian Trump supporters. Turns out he never visited a hospital or went to the police. Also, he happens to work for a makeup artist, so... Then at Elon University, someone wrote, Bye bye Latinos, hasta la vista, on a whiteboard. This led to the administration going into a panic, but it turned out it was a Latina student who wrote it. Another hoax. Two pro-Trump supporters at another college were accused of spitting on people and yelling racist anti-gay slurs. The students were punished and kicked out of their fraternity. In the end, they were cleared and it turned out it was all lies. They had done nothing wrong. Ashley Boyer, a black woman, said that four white women attacked her. Ashley Boyer, a black woman, said that four white men attacked her and yelled racist slurs at her. She said she went to the police and that charges had been laid. The post went viral. Everyone was retweeting it. But the police said no one came to them. They knew nothing about it. They never laid charges. They wanted to talk to Ashley about this, but she refused to talk to them. Hmm, I wonder why. I could keep going. There are tons more. There's even the one from the military where there was supposed to be a hate crime that went out. Um, towards one of the uh, black men who was trained to be in the military, but it turned out he had left the note on his own door as well. This all came to light this week with the story of Jesse. About a month ago, Jesse received a letter that had been mailed to him through the studio. It was a white powder, and it used letter cutouts from a newspaper to say really horrible racist things. The studio had to be closed down, and the white powder had to be tested, and it turned out to be aspirin. Then, the latest story. His story was that he was mugged by two white men with mega hats at 2 a.m. in Chicago who poured bleach on him, put a noose around his neck, and yelled, you're in mega country. So many things obviously wrong with this story. For one thing, who wears a ski mask and then puts a baseball cap on top of a ski mask? That doesn't even make sense. 
Of course, as we all know now, it was completely made up. He hired two men to attack him, and he couldn't even find two white men who would, could, would even be willing to get paid to attack him, so he had to hire two black men. Also, they found the magazine with the cutout letters, proving that he sent the letter with the white powder in it himself. So chances are he may end up going to prison for them for this. These stories date back to before Trump. So let's not just Trump coming into power. So now all of this happened. This was ramped up times a million since Trump came in, but it was before him also. It comes with this belief that America is at its foundation a racist country. The media wants this story, so they have to go out and find the story. And if the story's not there, it, then it has to be made up. All right, so a lesson here. America and Canada also. We are great countries. Really, the West is great. So the only way to be part of a hate crime is just to make one up. These stories spread because they're everything the media wants. They prove that white men are evil. They create a reason for a protest. They're the kind of story that people share and click on. And let's face it, you click on a story, the media gets money. Meanwhile, in Canada, we have a story that's being talked about, but it's kind of confusing. And let's face it, not as exciting as a hate crime. But stay with me, because we're going to dive into the story of Gerald Butts. And it's a story we really need to know about. So who is Gerald Butts, and why is everyone freaking out about him quitting as Trudeau's primary secretary? Well, Pierce Morgan calls Butt one sandwich short of a picnic lunch. <laughs> all right, but who is he? Well, he's the man behind Trudeau and the one making all the choices. The one holding the puppet strings to Trudeau. Really, Butts is our prime minister. We just don't know it, and no one voted for him. So let's look at who he is and why he had to step down. And it's actually a pretty crazy story. I mean, you could make a novel about this one, guys. First, Butts was born in Cape Breton and his father worked in the coal mine. His aunt was a nun and she's kind of actually a famous nun. She's crazy smart and has a bunch of degrees, but she spent most of her time working as a school teacher. In the 90s, Jean Chrétien picked her to be a Canadian senator, but there were two problems. There was a law dating back to like the founding of Canada that says a senator has to own at least $4,000 and they must have a salary. Well, Miss Butts had taken a vow of poverty, so she had no money, and also she refused to take a salary. But it all got ironed out when someone donated a plot of land worth around $4,000 to her, so now that she owns something worth $4,000, and a charity agreed to take her salary. So Jerry Butts grew up with a father who worked in the coal mines and an aunt who had no regards for money or power. Well, what happened to him? He's basically the exact opposite of all that. He's hungry for power, has a lust for money, and he wants to shut down the coal industry. Again, at the same time Senator Butts was sworn into office, Gary Butts was going to McGill University. And this is where he meets Justin Trudeau. And the two become very close friends. They're the kind of friends that finish each other's sentences and they're together all the time. Then in September of 2000, Pierre Elliott Trudeau died, and Justin Trudeau was suddenly without his father. Justin was at the time pretty much an unknown. He was a partier and a part-time drama teacher, but at his father's funeral, everything changed. Trudeau stood in front of the press, in front of the world leaders, in front of the who's who of Canadian elites, the cameras, the spotlights, and he gave a speech that threw him instantly into the Trudeau mania spotlight. People began to suddenly see him as the next leader of the Liberal Party. 
Now, if you've ever heard Justin Trudeau try to string a sentence together, you might think this is kind of crazy. He gave an amazing speech that made everyone think he was an ex-prime minister. How did that even happen? Well, his good friend, Gerald Butts, wrote the speech for him. In 2003, Gerald Butts began working for the Ontario Liberal Party. He was the man behind Dalton McGuinty. He spent more time in front of the camera than most of the people running for the election. In fact, people were actually really confused about that. The Liberals won the election and soon after, a letter went out to all the Liberal MPs. Gerald Butts would be doing all the hiring of staff. No one was allowed to hire any of their own staff. It was clear from day one, Gerald Butts was the boss. During his time running the province from behind closed doors, he brought in the Green Energy Act. This is the act that's already cost Ontario billions of dollars and that we can't get out of until like at least 2030. And it's gonna cost us so much more. This is the act that ruined businesses and drove up the cost of our electricity. Then in 2008, Gerald Butts took the job as a CEO and president of World Wildlife Fund Canada. He's a globalist and an environmentalist right down to his core. Then in 2013, Trudeau won the race to be the head of the Liberal Party of Canada and Gerald Butts came on board to help him run in the election. He did run and unfortunately won the election. Butts then moved to Toronto, moved from Toronto to Ottawa. Now this is not really a very big move. It's a few hours drive, but he billed the taxpayer $127,000. How does it cost you $127,000 to move just a few houses away? We're not talking about buying houses or anything like that. We're talking about just the cost of the move. That's crazy. The story got picked up by the press and Butts eventually repaid about $60,000 of it. That still leaves $67,000. That's still unreal. Feel like you're getting overtaxed and wondering where your money's going? Stuff like this. Once again, it was Butts who was going to be running the country. Again, the MPs received an email letting them know that any email from Butts was equal to an email from the Prime Minister. He would be equal to the Prime Minister. That's crazy. We No one voted for him. No one had even really heard of him. And now he would be telling the MPs who were voted into power what they could and couldn't do. It was Butts that pushed for the legislation um, to legalize marijuana. It was Butts that pushed for the Paris Accord. It was Butts, Butts that pushed for Omar to get paid millions of dollars. It was Butts that was been pushing for open borders and mass migration. Trudeau just does whatever he tells him to do. Basically, this is why I'm saying he was our prime minister and we didn't even know it and no one voted for him. Then suddenly he resigns and that was shocking to everyone. The story goes back to a scandal that I'm going to say less than 5% of Canadians know about. So let's learn a little bit about a company called SNC. So SNC is an engineering firm from Quebec. They have about 50,000 employees. They have offices in 50 countries and have projects right now in 160 countries. In 1995, they won the bid to build the electric power stations in India. Then in 1999, they bought a 99-year lease from Ontario government for $3.1 billion and created the 407, which is Ontario's private highway. I actually love this highway. It's totally worth the toll, just as a side note. In 2000, they won the bid to be the company that would build a huge bridge in Montreal. And then in 2005, they won the bid to redo the Trans-Canada Highway in the New Brunswick portion. 
There was also a project in Libya. So this seems like this great company doing awesome work, making lots of money as a capitalist. I have no problems with that. But it was the Liberian project as well as the Indian project that opened up some questions. First of all, there ended up being a net loss in India of over $3 billion. Charges were laid, but all the Canadians involved were acquitted. However, Libya ended up being a much bigger deal. First of all, there was this woman named Cindy Vanier. She was caught trying to smuggle Gaddafi's family into Mexico. So if you don't know who Gaddafi is, he, he was the leader of Libya before he was killed off in a coup. So this man named Pierre was caught trying to help Cindy. Cindy ended up in a Mexican prison. Pierre eventually ended up resigning. Then came a guy named Rai Ben Asi. He worked for the SNC and was very close friends with Gaddafi's son. He hired this man named Edis Zachary, whose wife just happens to be the Canadian ambassador of Libya. This gave SNC direct links to the Canadian government as well as the Gaddafi family. Raya Ben Asa was the vice president of the global construction for SNC. So he was arrested in Switzerland for fraud and money laundering. This led to the RCMP raiding the Toronto offices of the SNC. What they found was proof of $48 million in bribes to the Libyan public offices and also $130 million that had been defrauded from Libyan organizations. This was the largest fraud investigation in Canadian history. So what does this have to do with Gerald Butts? Well, the Justice Minister at the time, Jody Olson-Raybould. Gerald Butts went to Jody Raybould and asked her to make a deal for the SNC so that they wouldn't end up in massive trouble. This, of course, remember, is the largest fraud investigation in Canadian history. Now remember, a call or an email from Gerald Butts is supposed to be equal to a call or an email from our Prime Minister. Now, Wilson Reynolds did not listen to Gerald Butts, but this led, up, this led her to being ostracized by Trudeau and ended up with her resignation, resignation. So when the news broke that the PM had been pressuring the Justice Minister to not lay charges or to make a deal for the SNC engineering firm, people began to look deeper and it was Butts who had been given the order to drop the investigation. So this week, he resigned. What's going to happen with this, though? Will Gerald Butts be charged with interfering in an investigation? Does Gerald Butts have some connection to this company or to the projects in Libya? Or does Justin Trudeau have connections to this company or to the projects in Libya? This is actually a really big story and one that cannot be ignored. The fact that this happened the same day as the truck rally in Ottawa is kind of crazy. It was Butts who was pushing for environmental laws that made the pipeline impossible to build. And that is what brought all of these trucks to Ottawa. To know about the protest, we need to follow the money. We need, every time you see a protest, ask yourself who funded this protest. If it's funded by big money, then probably the protesters are just a bunch of people who are being hired to be there. But this truck rally is funded by online donations. $20 here and $10 here. The message is this. Listen to the people. The people want the government. We want the government that works for us. We want a government that represents us. Stop dividing us. We want our country back and we're going to take our country back. This is what the group has written. I'm going to read exactly from them um, why they did this truck rally. We are a dedicated group that are organizing a rally from Red Deer, Alberta. We have a convoy of trucks making the trip to create awareness for the oil and gas industry. My name is Glenn. 
and I am from Alberta, Canada. I own and operate a fire and medical safety service company in Alberta, British Columbia, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. We are raising funds for the United We Roll Convey to Canada. This is a convoy traveling from all across Canada and uniting in Ottawa. The purpose is to show our concern to the current government that we oppose Bill C-48 and Bill C-69. We are in favor of pipelines to move our product in the oil and gas sector to the rest of Canada as well as to the rest of the world. We are opposed to the current format of the carbon tax as well as the UN impact on Canadian borders. All right. So as the convoy moved from Alberta to Ottawa, they were met with supporters and more trucks were added to the convoy. Supporters lined the streets holding signs of support and gave letters to the drivers so they could bring letters with them to Ottawa. It was a beautiful thing and a chance that maybe Canada isn't lost after all. Maybe there is hope. And the truth is that every day I meet people who are doing basically what I'm doing. They've woken up, they feel alone, but they start putting out the word out there and then they find out they're not alone. There's actually lots of us in Canada. They're doing, we're just done. We're done with political correctness. Lots of us who believe in borders, lots of us who we care about our planet, but we don't believe stupid things like carbon taxes or ending pipelines has anything to do with helping our planet. There's lots of us who see through the agenda can see there's nothing to do with saving the planet. All of these things just have everything to do with Marxism and communism and socialism. Having a border and asking our government to pay attention to who comes in and out of our country doesn't make us racist or far right, whatever far right means now. And not wanting to give more of our money to the government doesn't mean we don't care about the planet. There are people here in this convoy, they're not asking for free handouts. These are not people who, who want the government to just give them free stuff. These are people who want to work, who are willing to work. They don't want free handouts. They don't want to be owned by their country. They want to take control of their own lives. Honestly, this will mean nothing to Trudeau. He could care less about the working man. We all know that. But hopefully the conservatives can see what is happening. And they can see that they need to be ready to step up. They need to step up. They need to step up in order to win the election this year. They need to say that they're going to end the regulations and that they're going to give us a pipeline. All right, so there you go. That's what happened this week. It's kind of crazy. Maybe I should just go back on vacation, take another week off social media. But in all the chaos, we can have hope because we know that the God who created us and loves us is still in control. He sees all of us nut jobs out here and he still loves us. It's kind of hard to believe. It's a love only a father could have, but he does love us. He loves you, and that's something he wants you to know. This week while I was on vacation, I was able to spend time with the ocean and just see the beauty of God's creation. As the sun set, people all stood around taking pictures. It was so beautiful. And my husband just said, hey, this happens every day. The beauty and the detail of God's creation is mind-blowing. But of all the things God created, it is us. It's people that he loved. He loved us so much. He came to earth and died to take our punishment for sin. He didn't die for the oceans or for the dolphins or for the bears or for the trees. He died for people. He died for you. And the good news is he didn't stay dead. He came back to life and he's coming back again soon, I hope, because our world can't get much worse. So if you call out to him, if you tell him you're sorry for your sin, you pray and repent and ask him, he will save you. 
He already knows everything you've done and he loves you anyway. All right, for more blogs, podcasts, and videos, check out my website at lauraleesiemens.com. In the meantime, I'll see you next week.